Well, may the Lord bless you. I often put that on the bottom of an email or something like that. God bless. Seems like a nice thing to say, doesn't it? Because uh, we'd much rather God bless us than something tough came our way. Uh, we'd much rather that than maybe something hard, some suffering. Uh, it would be it would be a bit cruel, wouldn't it, to finish off your email? Uh, <laughs> may pain come your way. Uh, uh, may you enjoy the suffering that is about to be yours, or something like that. I could. Uh, and yet, and yet, as we come to look at God's word again uh, this morning, maybe not two different things actually. Maybe not two very different things to be blessed by God and to suffer. C.S. Lewis wrote, We can ignore pleasure, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. People have always had some suffering and pain. Suffering and pain is normal. And for Christians, there's always been a bit of a problem between trying to reconcile uh, the problem of pain with a God who is all-powerful and all-loving and why would he allow pain and suffering to be in his world? And yet we also recognise, don't we, what C.S. Lewis wrote, that actually it's in times of suffering that we are often caused to look to and listen to God. Uh, Sometimes God has to knock us flat on our backs in order to get us to look up at him. We know that we need to look up, we need to be more dependent on God in prayer, but until times are tough, we often don't respond in that kind of way. Spurgeon said those who dive in seas of affliction, bring up the rarest pearls. But we want the growth without the pain, don't we? We want the jewel without having to dive into the sea of affliction. Paul Brandt wrote a book called Suffering, The Gift That No One Wants. Uh, Has anybody ever read that? Excellent. So for Andrew and I... Um, for, the, for the rest of you, uh, you could actually do the ironic thing and give somebody this book as a present, couldn't you? <laughs> it's the gift that no one wants about the gift that no one wants. Uh, a bit, but it's a great book. It'd be a great book to read and to give it, but we don't want it, do we? We don't want to know about it. For many of us following the wisdom and priorities of the world around us, life is about maximising pleasure and minimising pain, and why would you ever want anything other than that? We don't expect to suffer. We see suffering as evidence that something has gone terribly wrong, and so in response to suffering, we are often led into discouragement and despair. We turn inward and we start up a self-pity party. And I say that not to accuse other people. I'm saying for most of my Christian life, that's actually been my view of suffering and pain. And so often it's led to despair or depression, to inward looking, to the losing of hope. 
Uh, and I've got to say, over the last five years, I've learnt uh, a lot about this and about how to see and respond to tougher times. And we're going to turn now to continue our look in 1 Peter. So please open up 1 Peter chapter 4. And as we turn to this chapter, uh, I want to share with you what I've found in God's Word, uh, what we see here about suffering and pain. Uh, And I want to share with you God's perspective on these things and the world looks very different from that point of view. And I think if we get this bit of the Bible, uh, it is a much more helpful and realistic way of coping with the inevitable ups and downs of life. And for that reason, I think it makes a huge difference. 1 Peter, chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 12. Dear friends... Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Uh, As I work through uh, this part of the chapter with you, I want to ask and answer three questions uh, and we'll see just how different things look from God's perspective. The first question is, what should we expect about suffering? What should we expect? Well, verse 12 and 13. We see what we should expect, don't we? Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. See, what he's saying is suffering. It's normal. Why would you be surprised? Uh, When Peter first wrote this letter to the Christians scattered through modern-day Turkey, part of what he writes in this passage is definitely about uh, persecution for being Christian, but what he says here in verse 12 is, is not at all that specific. It's just pain, discomfort. And, uh, And the point is that that's normal. That's normal, it's general, it's the expected state of life, the state of affairs for everyone. Not all the time, but suffering is never far away and for that reason it should never take us by surprise. In a minute I think we'll see uh, more clearly why Peter describes this suffering as a fiery trial or or ordeal. Uh, But let's just move on at the moment. You want to be like Jesus, don't you? Is that right? Would you like to be more like Jesus? Okay, excellent. That is encouraging for me to see. Okay, so if you want to be more like Jesus, what was Jesus like? Well, 
He was the suffering servant. That's what he was like. His life was made incredibly difficult at many points throughout the way and he died humiliated and rejected and you want to be more like Jesus, don't you? And that's what it's like. Look at verse 13. We can't participate in Jesus' sufferings on the cross. He did that once for all. But we are somehow tied up with him and in his sufferings in our lives if we follow him. Uh, Peter wrote earlier, chapter 2, verse 21, Jesus suffered, leaving us an example that we should follow. His sufferings and our sufferings are tied up. In Acts 9, when Jesus appears to Saul on the Damascus road, he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? But who was Saul persecuting? It's the Christians. The sufferings of Christ's people and Christ are tied up together. All the followers of Jesus are called to participate in the work of the suffering servant, which mainly involves, I think, taking the gospel to the world, taking the gospel to the nations. That's the Great Commission. But it brings with it an expectation that as you do that, it'll involve suffering. Mission and suffering go together. Isn't that exciting? Mission and suffering go together. If you carry on the work of the servant of the Lord, it is the suffering servant of the Lord. So the first question, what should we expect about suffering? Suffering is normal. Jesus suffered. Jesus' followers carrying on the work of the suffering servant. That's the first question. The second question is, what do we understand is happening as we suffer, when we suffer? And the first thing I want to say might come as a bit of a shock, but it's true and it's a truth that we need to deal with. That is, God is in control of our suffering. God is in control. He hasn't taken his hand off the tiller. Uh, We might not understand the purposes and the plans of God in every circumstance. We don't know the detail. Uh, What we do know is that our suffering should not surprise us and it does not surprise God. Now is the time, verse 17, for something to start in the household of God that will involve our suffering. Verse 19, suffering is according to God's will. So when we suffer, it's not as if in the great cosmic battle between good and evil, evil's having a good day. It's not that. God is in control. Our suffering may be the direct result of some evil or another. It may be something that the evil one will take great delight in. But God is still in control. And his purposes will not be stopped. And that means that it's worth continuing to pray. See, if God were not in control, there'd be no point praying to God in our suffering, would there? That God is still in control is a great motivation to prayer. So God is in control of our suffering, firstly. Secondly, we need to understand that we do not suffer alone. 
So we've already seen in verse 13, suffering is one of the ways in which we're made like Christ and we participate in his sufferings. When we pray, we pray to God the Father who through his Son, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus who was tempted and who suffered more than I will ever really know or understand, I'm sure. And he is with me in my sufferings. Look at verse 14. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I heard a story of a a young family who lived next door to an elderly couple. Uh, The wife, the the lady of um, of the house next door, passed away one day. And so uh, the old man was there all alone, deep in his grief. And so the young mum next door was trying to hem in these four kids and not have them running around making lots of noise or going and disturbing the poor neighbour in his grief. And she's kind of looked around and one of them's escaped. And she can't find this little girl anywhere. And to her shock, she looks out the window and the little girl's gone next door to the old man and is sitting on the veranda with him. And very embarrassed, the the mother goes across to get the little girl and leave the poor bloke alone. And, uh, And she says to the little girl as she's kind of dragging her back into their house next door, what do you think you were doing there? And the girl said, I was, I was just helping him cry. I was just sitting there with him, giving him a hand. Now, it's a bizarre idea that we should leave grieving people to be by themselves, that we don't know what to do with suffering people, so we'll just let them be. It's bizarre, isn't it? And the comfort of having someone with you is tremendous. But the promise in verse 14, uh, yes, it's specific to those who are insulted because of the name of Christ, but the principle actually holds firm for other suffering as well. We are blessed in the midst of suffering because we have company. Not the company of a little girl, but the spirit of glory and of God rests on us. In the Bible, suffering always comes before glory, but glory does follow suffering and glory will surely come in the end. And here we see that we do not suffer alone and in fact the spirit of God and of glory is with us even in the midst of suffering. We do not suffer alone. Jesus is with us. And he understands suffering. Don't believe the the lies of the evil one that come to you in your suffering. The lies that tell you that you are all alone and that this will go on forever. The spirit of God and of glory rests on you even in those dark times. You might look at the suffering of other people and say, I could never bear that. I could never lose a loved one like that. I I couldn't cope. And here's the gentle truth. You probably can't. Not alone. But you are never alone. You're never alone. God does not leave us on our own to suffer. 
So God is in control of our suffering. He does not leave us alone to suffer. Thirdly, suffering is fitting us for heaven. You ready for suffering? You ready to die? Well, if you're not ready yet, do you know how God is going to make you ready? He'll bring it on. Can you see in this passage of the Bible the link between suffering and judgment and that fiery ordeal that I skipped over at the start? In the Old Testament, the prophets talk about the judgment of God coming and consistently God starts his judgment close to home. Uh, Judgment starts at the house of God, at the temple. So if you look at Ezekiel 9 and Malachi 3, you'll see there the judgment of God starts in the temple and goes out through the city of Jerusalem to the nation, to the world. And the picture of God's judgment that's often used is of a fire. But not just any fire. It's a refiner's fire. Uh, I've never had the experience, but I'm told if you're kind of digging around the backyard, you dig up a nugget of gold, uh, it's a bit grubby. Uh, And there's all kinds of other stuff mixed in. The muck of the backyard is in there with the gold. And if you actually want pure gold, what you have to do is put it in an intense fire that burns away the dross and melts down the pure gold. That's what a refiner's fire does. And what is left is pure and valuable. And that's what the refining fire of God's judgment does as well. We live in a broken, sin-soaked, suffering world. And the judgment of God that is being revealed at this very time, it starts like a fire in the household of God and it's a fire that refines the people of God and makes us fit for heaven. But for the rebels, for those who don't want to submit to God, for those who pull away from the idea of being refined, uh, the ungodly and the sinners of verse 18, for those people... This fire of judgment is just a fire that consumes them. Same fire. We know this is true from experience, but it's here in the Word of God. If you want to be purified, if you want to be matured as a believer, if you want to be more like Jesus, you will go through the refiner's fire. And that's going to hurt. The fire of God's judgment is real. Suffering is real. It's a fire of refinement or of destruction. It depends how we respond to the Lord Jesus. Are we going to rebel or submit? If you submit, if you want to be more like Jesus, you can rejoice in your sufferings because the suffering is refining you. Might God be using your illness or the illness of a loved one or that painful grief or that difficult relationship or that period of enormous stress and anxiety or whatever it is that's causing you suffering right now, might God be using that to refine you and make you more like his son? Might that be 
what's going on right now? What should we expect about suffering? The first question. Well, it's normal. Jesus suffered. Jesus' followers carry on the work of the suffering servant. Second question, what do we understand is happening as we suffer? God is in control. We do not suffer alone and our suffering is fitting us for heaven. If all of that is true, final question, how should we respond to suffering? Verse 19 is such an important verse. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. I want to finish today by saying two obvious things that almost don't need saying except... I've got a few extra minutes and they do need saying. First thing, commit yourself, entrust yourself to God. Not just to God, entrust yourself, did you notice here, to your faithful creator. Did you know in the whole of the New Testament God is only called the creator four times? I mean, it's not that the rest of the New Testament writers don't believe that God is the creator. God's certainly the creator, but as a title... Only four times in the whole of the New Testament. So why here? Why highlight God's role as creator here? So I'm sure Peter's doing that deliberately to remind us that our God is the one who's been in control of all things for all time. God can be relied upon. God keeps his promises and in the middle of whatever you're going through now, This is the God that you can rely on. This is the God that you can commit yourself to. Just like Jesus at the cross who did not retaliate or panic or take things into his own hands but instead entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So when we're suffering, we should follow his example and give ourselves over even more fully to our faithful, powerful, sovereign creator. That's the first thing you should do. Commit yourselves and trust your soul to your faithful creator. The second thing, again, this is simple. Second thing we're to do, the end of verse 19, you see it there. It's also in verse 16, actually, back up in verse 16. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name uh, What you need to do is continue to do good. This is talking about the whole of our lives. It's saying as we do good, as we do the right thing, as we make choices that would honour God, we bring him glory rather than shame. Don't try to avoid suffering by compromising your faith, by joining in with others, by despairing, by denying the truth that God is in control even of this but instead continue to do good, continue to do the right thing even in the midst of this. So if we're not surprised by suffering, if we understand what's going on, if we give ourselves over to our faithful God doing the right thing, if we do that, then we can rejoice in our sufferings and we can look forward to perfect, unending joy 
on the day that glory comes with Jesus. So the work of taking the gospel to the nations is the work of the servant of God, the suffering servant of God. Are you ready to embrace your part in this work? Are you ready with Spurgeon to dive into the seas of affliction that you too might bring up the rarest pearls? Are you ready with Paul Brandt to rejoice in suffering as a gift from God? Do you really want to be more like Jesus? Do you really want to be made fit for heaven? Are you ready with Peter, verse 13, to rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we are conscious as we think of pain and suffering that our every instinct is to run the other way. Our every instinct is to avoid it at all cost. And yet, Lord, we've seen again from your word this morning that our suffering may well be part of your good plan to make us fit for heaven. Father, we pray that you would make us more like Jesus and that in response to the pain of our lives, we wouldn't turn away, but that we would draw closer still and that we would commit ourselves continuing to do right, even in the midst of pain. And Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.